seats. You people are such creatures of habit that you have to have music to get back to your seat. We thought we'd really shake it up this morning. Um, so, I know some of you are thinking, especially parents in the room, why are you doing this to us and making us have our kids in the room? Some of you, I see, left your kids at home and showed up. You, you're like... <laughs> That's cheating. That's exactly right. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? And I want to I talk to that because I think it's important at times to just evaluate why we do what we do. Why, why do we bring the kids in here specifically and want them in here on these fifth Sundays? Well, there's a couple things. And kids, I want to talk to you. Normally, you're off in children's church and you get to hear the better half of this couple. You get to hear my wife. And, and, and she does a great job. But, but kids, this is really important what we do in here. And we want you to be a part of it. What we do in here every Sunday when we open up God's word and, we, and we, we listen to what God has to say to us is really important for us. Because it, it tells us how we live. And, and kids, what we do every week in here is... We, we take God's word and we teach it and we preach it to your parents and all the other adults in the church. And, and we're counting on them to teach it to you, but it's also good for you to be in here and hear God's word for yourself. And I know you're going to be fidgety. I know, I know that you're going to think like Pastor Dan is never going to stop. Join the crowd. But here's the deal. I promise you, I will come to an end. It will happen. But here's the other thing. Anytime God's word is taught, there's an opportunity for everyone of all of us to learn. And what we're going to cover this morning in God's word in Luke chapter 15 is something that I know every one of you kids can grasp. I know it's something you can understand. It's something you've heard before. It's something you've probably talked about in children's church. And so when we come to Luke chapter 15 this morning, we're coming, honestly, we're coming to one of my very favorite chapters in all of the Bible. This, this when, I, when I decided well a long time ago that we were going to preach through the book of Luke, I, I wanted to just skip and come to chapter 15. It's one of my very favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And this morning, I get to preach verses 1 through 10, and next Sunday, I'm kind of jealous because my good friend Paul gets to preach my very favorite text in the scripture, verses 11 through 32. Chapter 15 is all about losing something. It's about lost items. It's all about lost items. It's Jesus telling three stories. Kids. What is it called when Jesus tells a story? Adults do not answer. Kids, what's it, what, what is it when Jesus tells a story? What's it called? Yeah. A parable. That's right. It's called a parable. And parables are important to us. When we come to parables in God's word, I don't know if you all realize this. You, if you've been paying attention, I've been telling you this. Jesus taught parables for two reasons. Taught them for two reasons. One one, to make a spiritual truth easily understood for those who he wanted to understand it. That's the good side of a parable. 
But he also told parables so that it would be confusing to other people. Jesus, parables in many ways were either an act of grace on God's part, on Jesus' part, or they were an act of judgment on God's part. Because if you heard these parables and you didn't understand them, then your, your soul was really far gone. And so Jesus in this chapter tells three parables, three stories, and they all deal with lost things. The first one deals with the lost sheep. The second one deals with a lost coin, and the third one deals with lost sons. Not son, sons. Lost sons. It's interesting to me when we look at verse 1 and verse 2, we find out that there's three groups of people who are Jesus' audience here. There's three groups of people who are Jesus' audience that make up the crowd here. Do you see who they are? Who's the first group listed for us, church? Tax collectors. Tax collectors. Who's the second group, church? Sinners. Who's the third group? Pharisees and scribes, religious leaders. The self-righteous. And so as we begin, even before we read this text this morning, let's understand every single one of us is represented in one of those three groups. Every single one of us is represented in those three groups. This story is for us. This, this chapter is for us. And so, as we begin, I want to tell you a story. Years ago, and because it's years ago, my memory may be dimming and fading, so I may not get all the details totally right in this story. I asked my wife last night, and she was no help. <laughs> and she was there with me. We're getting old, okay? Okay. Years ago, my wife and I took our two daughters, we only had two daughters at the time, that was eons ago, we took them to a Columbus Symphony Orchestra Popcorn Pops concert. You ever been to one of those? It was out on the lawn at Chemical Abstracts there, and uh, right off there off of uh, Olentangy River Road, and uh, we're sitting there, and it's before the concert begins, and we're there with some friends of ours who happened to show up, and there's family there as well. And so, you know, because it's a family-friendly environment, you're there, you're talking to people, Amy sees somebody she's talking to, I see somebody that I'm talking to, and we get involved in this, and all of a sudden we have this terrible realization. Where is my youngest daughter? Where is my youngest, I mean, have you ever been in a situation where, you, where the parent realizes, or maybe it's you, and they're looking around and you're like, something's not right? And we're both, and I, I look over at Amy, and I'm like, where's Kara? She looks at me. I don't know. We check in with her mother, and she's like, I thought she was with you. And you get into this panic, and your mind goes a million directions, and of course, as a parent, the first thing you're thinking of is what? Who grabbed her? Who grabbed her? And you're in this panic, and we're searching everywhere, and that little stinker turned up walking way out in the parking lot of Chemical Abstracts out towards Olentangy River Road because she saw an ambulance. Her uncle happened to be a paramedic in the city of Columbus, and, and she loved ambulances at the time. And she was just walking to it thinking, I'm just going to go look at this ambulance. Scary stuff, right? And the panic that ensues when you've lost something. 
You know the scariest part of that story is? She never once was scared in that. She didn't know she was lost. She didn't know she was lost. She thought she was just fine. She was going to look for her uncle. You go, well, there, my uncle must be there. He's in that ambulance. And I can relate to the shepherd in this account this morning, and I can relate to the woman in this account this morning, and hopefully before we're done this morning, you can relate to these people in this account in Luke chapter 15 this morning. So if you have your Bible, kids, get a Bible out. Parents, get a Bible out for them. This is the most important thing we do in here. We read God's Word. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray this morning. Father... In this room are many sheep who have been rescued, many coins who have been found. And yet, I'm pretty sure there's probably more sheep that need rescued in this room and more coins that need to be found. And I'm so thankful for this picture of the love of the Heavenly Father. I'm so thankful for this picture of the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for this text of Scripture that, that says that there's hope for even the tax collectors and, and the most rotten of sinners. I pray that we would see that hope this morning and that it would resonate with us. I pray for those of us who, who are sheep who have been found, who are coins who have been recovered, that, that we would understand that, that it is our calling to care about the things that the chief shepherd cares about and that we too would, would care about those who are the tax collectors and the sinners and, and, the, and the very religious self-righteous around us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin this morning, verse 1, there's this really interesting, interesting contrast here. All along, we've been saying here, as, as we're getting closer and closer, and, and what we've been doing and what Luke has been painting for us is this picture of Jesus moving towards Jerusalem. He's getting closer and closer. And one of the things that we've noted is the closer Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the more the opposition turns up against him, right? The more the religious leaders are kind of in his face, the more they're trying to trap him. But what's interesting is the closer he gets to Jerusalem, who's coming close to him? In verse 1, Luke records this, that the tax collectors and the sinners, the, the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to Jesus. 
Now, they're not drawing near to Jesus for the same reason that the the self-righteous religious people are. They're drawing near to Jesus because there's something attractive about Jesus to them, and they can't help but move towards Jesus. Let's understand why Luke specifically details these two groups of people for us, tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were basically turncoats. Think of the worst profession you can think of today in our society. I'm not going to name some because I know they're probably represented in the room. Okay? (laughs) All right? You think of what you think is the worst profession in the world today. Okay? And, 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 And when you think about that profession, there's a reason why you don't like that profession. They have a reputation, right? Well, tax collectors had a reputation, they were fellow Jews. They, they were, by, the, by, by birth, the same nationality who had sold their souls, basically for all intents and purposes, to the Jewish people. They had sold their souls to the devil. They had sold their souls to Rome. And here's how they had sold themselves to Rome. They literally had bought franchises from the Roman government that allowed them to collect taxes in a certain geographical area. Okay? And not only were they allowed to collect taxes, but they had permission to charge as much as they want and and make sure as long as you had enough to pay off your tax debt to Rome, you could keep whatever else you collected. And if people wouldn't pay, well, here's the Roman army to help enforce our laws. That's a pretty good gig if you can get it, right? But it also would make you very hated amongst your own people, wouldn't it? They were so hated, they were so hated and so reviled by the society that they lived in that if they happened to show up at the synagogue on a Sabbath day to worship, the Pharisees and the, and the temple officials and the synagogue officials made sure, don't you dare put your offering in the offering plate. You're not going to defile this building. Their offerings were not even welcome. That's how reviled they were. So you have this group of people, Luke records, they're coming to see Jesus. Now, that's going, to, that's going to play into something here about four chapters down the road. Because in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is going to encounter a tax collector who probably was present on this day. Remember the guy who was a wee little man and a wee little man was he? Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And probably Zacchaeus is in this audience today as we're reading this text. But not only are there tax collectors here, but they're sinners. You say, well, aren't we all sinners? Yes. But, but what Luke is driving at here is he's driving at the, the, the real sinners. None of us, right? Right? He's driving at the real sinners. What we would call, and what someone has called, the religious, the irreligious riffraff of the day. The kind of people who have records, the kind of people who are always in trouble with the law, the kind of people who are always up to no good, they always have an angle, they're always working to to serve themselves. These two groups of people who are total outcasts and the Pharisees and scribes would never be associated with them, these are the people who are coming to Jesus. They're coming near And notice what Luke says. They're coming near to do what? They're not coming near to see another miracle. They're not coming near to see what he's going to do next. Why are they coming near to Jesus? What's it say in verse 1? They want to hear him. They want to hear what he has to say. 
And when you think about it, of all the public voices that were in the world during their time, there's only one voice that's speaking to them. Whose voice is it? It's Christ's voice. It's Christ's voice. And I have to ask myself, and this is just a little ancillary thought here, but church, are we not to be like the voice of Christ in the world we live in today? And yet many of us, and, and, and as a whole, we, we, we tend to pass by the, the irreligious riffraff, don't we? Who are we called to speak to? It's people just like this. And notice what the self-righteous do in verse 2. They grumble and they complain, okay? We would never associate with this peop these people, but, but this religious leader, this Jesus guy, he would. He would associate with them. Not only is he associated with them, but he is doing the unthinkable. What is he doing with them in verse 2? He's not just being seen with them. He is absolutely sitting down, reclining at a table, and he is eating a meal with them. He's not partaking in their sin with them, by the way. He's not, he's not jumping in and, and helping them collect taxes. He's not, he's not partaking in the riffraff sin and, and, their, and their bad habits. He's simply having a meal with them, which is pretty instructive to us. It's okay to have a meal. It's okay to have a conversation with that person who you don't approve of how they act. If it was okay for Jesus, I think it's okay for us. Church, yeah? It's okay to have a meal with those people. And I have to ask myself, what's the point of Jesus having the meal with these people? What do you do? What did they do in these, in these, these long, drown-out oriental meals? They had dialogue. They talked. They discussed. There was give. There was take. And when Jesus hears the grumbling, and get the picture here. This is not a meal like we saw in the previous chapter in a rich Pharisee's house because no Pharisee would host tax collectors and sinners. This is just a meal in some everyday Joe's house where Jesus happens to be. They're eating together, and now who's standing on the outside of the room? It's a total juxtaposition of what we've seen before. Jesus is living out what he challenged them to do. Remember, he challenged the Pharisees in chapter 14. When you have a meal, you invite who? You invite the people that no one else would invite, right? Jesus is sitting down at a meal now with people that no one else would invite. And where are the Pharisees? They're standing around the outside of the room. And what are they doing? Look at that. I bet they bought that at the bargain bin at Kroger. They can't even afford to serve a good meal here. And they're looking down their long, very self-righteous noses. And so Jesus... <laughs> Jesus now tells them a parable. And I have to ask myself, what is Jesus up to? What is Jesus up to? Why is he having a meal with these people? Well, when we come to Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we're going to find it very clearly stated for us. Let me just give you the reason why Jesus is doing this. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. If you're going to seek and save those who are lost, you've got to go be with the lost, don't you? You've got to be with the lost. And so Jesus is going to be with the lost here. And he's going to tell them a story. And, and, and what they don't realize is, is that they are right in this story. The self-righteous religious leaders are right in this story, along with the sinners and the tax collectors. 
So verse 4, he tells the story, verses 4 through 7, of the lost sheep, and then in verses 8 through 10, the lost coin. And there's several key themes in here, right? Both of these parables begin with the loss, right? They both begin with the loss. With the lost sheep, we've got a sheep that has gone astray. We've got a shepherd out here, and most likely, um, and, and the way we often portray this, I think, is wrong. This is probably a co-op of shepherds. There were probably three or four shepherds together, and they were watching several groups of sheep that belonged to several groups of people, okay? So, so don't think for a second that the 99 were left alone without a shepherd. There were probably other shepherds who were sharing this duty, right? But one sheep goes missing, and one shepherd, probably the owner of that sheep, or the one who was responsible for that sheep, all of a sudden he realizes, I got a problem here. I'm missing a sheep. It's gone. One out of a hundred. When Jesus used the illustration shepherd and sheep, these religious leaders should have been astute enough to realize he was talking about something they should have understood. Because all these religious leaders understood that Ezekiel and the prophecy of Ezekiel, back in Ezekiel 34, God dealt with sheep and shepherds. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but, but here's the thing. God takes the religious leaders of Israel in Ezekiel 34 to task. He called the religious leaders shepherds. And here's what he had to say about them. <laughs> As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become a food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand. Way back in the book of Ezekiel, he took the religious leaders to task. And now Jesus is here and he's telling a parable about them. But that passage goes on to say, in verse 11 of Ezekiel 34, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. If you don't believe that the gospel is not in the Old Testament, you've never read Ezekiel. Here is God himself saying, I will find my sheep. I will seek them out. And now Jesus is literally giving a parable that, that details what this looks like. You have to understand, too, what Pharisees thought of shepherds. Now, shepherds were considered to be a good profession, but, but in terms of the totem pole of good professions, honorable professions, they were down here. And there's a reason for it. One, they spent seven days a week with smelly sheep. You do the logic on that. Seven days with smelly sheep, you're going to be what? You're going to smell too, right? And because it was a seven-day-a-week job, guess what they couldn't do on the Sabbath day? They couldn't come and assemble at the synagogue. And, and, and the Pharisees looked down their self-righteous noses at these people too and like, well, you don't ever come to the assembly. But we needed shepherds because we had to have sheep for the offering. So Pharisees in the end were like, okay, it's a legitimate job. We just don't have to like you. No Pharisee would ever see himself as a shepherd. No Pharisee would ever see himself as a shepherd, and yet what does Jesus call himself in John chapter 10? I am the what? 
I'm the good shepherd. So we have a lost sheep, one out of a hundred lost. We also have a lost coin, don't we? One out of ten. That should tell us something. This woman only has ten coins, okay? She's not a wealthy woman. And I know it's a mostly barter-driven society, but in a barter-driven society, 10 coins is kind of like your your nest egg, and she has lost one-tenth of her nest egg. Some of you can relate to that. You have retirement counts, and with the way the economy goes up and down, all of a sudden, with just the fluctuation of the economy, you get a letter in the mail that says, you've lost one-tenth of your nest egg. That'll set you reeling, won't it? And so here, this woman has lost one-tenth of her little nest egg. And we know this for sure. No Pharisee would ever see himself as a shepherd, and no Pharisee would ever see himself as a what? A woman. Are you kidding me? They're like second-class citizens, right? In this society. And so we have these two items that are of great value to their owners that are lost. And the people that have lost them, the Pharisees can't even identify with. And so, honestly, this story is already going right over their heads because they don't see themselves in this story. But you know who does see themselves in this story? (laughs) Tax collectors and the riffraff. Tax collectors and riffraff see themselves in this story. Because, you see, tax collectors have been passed by, by all of society. The, the, the sinners, the riffraff, who are constantly in and out of trouble, they have been passed by. They have been lost. They're, they're not even viewed anymore. They're not even seen in the general population. And what happens is there's a great search. We have lost, but there's a search. And the shepherd understands. He understands the peril that the sheep is in. He understands that sheep are helpless and they're defenseless, especially when one of them is broken off from the herd, from the flock. And he knows this, that that if he does not find that sheep soon, especially if it's a hot, sunny day, that sheep could be in real trouble. Because here's what sheep do. When they get off by themselves, they get easily shaken up and made nervous, and they wander around and panic. And they're easy prey. They're easy prey. Just like all of us before we came to Christ and were found by him. We're easy prey for the world. <laughs> we're, we're easily hunted. We're, we panic. We run here and there. We go after this. We go after that. Only to find out that nothing satisfies us. And, and, and the lost sheep is going to this plant, to this plant. And what that sheep doesn't know is that that, that meadow is probably full. And, and that hillside is full of dangerous plants that it cannot eat. And without the shepherd there warning it, it's just going to eat whatever. It's going to go drink water that it shouldn't drink. It's going to fall over a cliff. It's going to get itself on its backside and it can't turn over. And that sheep is in more peril than it ever realized that it was in. And so this shepherd leaves the 99 in the care of a few other shepherds that are there. And he goes and he will not stop until he finds this sheep. There's also a sense of urgency with the woman. This coin is lost. And the word records for us, Jesus in his tale tells us this. She lights a lamp in the middle of the day because the house is dark. There's probably only one window into the house. And she sweeps every corner of that house. And she sweeps it and she searches until she finds that one coin. 
You see, there's a sense of urgency in this search. And in that, Jesus reveals to the sinners and the tax collectors the heart of God and the shepherd's compassion, his desire for the lost. Do you understand the value that God places on a soul? You see, Jesus doesn't just receive sinners, as it says in verse 2. Jesus goes after the lost. Aren't you so glad he does? Because if Jesus didn't come after you, you wouldn't be his child. If Jesus didn't come after me, I wouldn't be his child. How do I know that? (laughs) Because the word records for me that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks after God. There's no such thing as, as a sheep that's lost that is out looking for the shepherd. Sheep have to be found. Lost sheep have to be found. And I'm reminded of the words of John 10. Jesus talking about himself says this. I know their name. I know their name. I don't care what you're going through in your life right now. If you are one of his sheep, he knows you by name. It's a good thing, isn't it? It's a real good thing. And so we have something, two things that are lost. We have two things that are desperately searched for. And then I want you to see what happens in the recovery. What happens in the recovery? In verse 5, he keeps searching until he finds it. It's a relentless search. It's a relentless search. It's not like some of the searches that we read about in the news where someone goes missing and we search and we search and we search until there's like no hope anymore and we give up that search. No, the shepherd is searching until he finds that sheep and he will find it. And notice what he does. If I'm a shepherd that has given up a night's sleep looking for a sheep, I'm going to be grumpy. Anybody else with me? I might kind of give that sheep a little help with the rod. Anybody with me? I might grab that sheep, especially if it's a young one, by the back of the neck and hold it up and like, never again, buster. Anybody with me? What does this shepherd do? What does this shepherd do? He gently picks up the sheep and he puts them on his shoulders. Do you see the beauty of that? Do you see the beauty of that? He, he understands that this is a helpless sheep. He understands that this sheep probably can't get himself back home. He understands that this sheep is hurting, that this sheep is scratched up, that this sheep is probably panic-stricken. And what does he do? He picks the sheep up, puts it on his shoulders, and he carries it back home. What a beautiful picture of what Christ does for us. What a beautiful picture of what Christ does for us. When we can't go another step, he picks us up, puts us on his shoulders. And he carries us. I think of the words of 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. Is that all of us? Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. You were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd an overseer of your souls. We don't have any details on what the woman does with the coin. I can only imagine if I only had 10 coins and I lost one and I found the other one, I'm like picking up the other one and I'm holding all 10 and I'm counting to make sure. Are you with me? 
do I have 10? And then I'm securely getting that back where I had kept them. But we do have the same reaction, which leads me to my fourth point this morning. There is great joy in being found. There's great joy in being found. Do you, do you see what happens here? Verse 6, when, when the shepherd finds the sheep, he, he gets together the other shepherds, he gets his friends and his neighbors, and he says, rejoice with me, I have found the sheep that was lost. Same thing in verse 9, when, when the woman finds the coin, she's like, let's have a party. Why? Because what was lost has been found. There's joy in being found. And not only is there joy in being found when you're a lost sheep and a lost coin, what Jesus is making is this great spiritual application. See it in verse 7 and verse 10. He's talking about souls here, people. He's not talking about sheep and coins. He's talking about precious souls like yours and like mine. And what he says is this, just so I tell you, verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What is he saying here? He's saying this, that true repentance brings joy. And if you have truly been found and you have no joy, something's wrong. Verse 10, he says that the angels in heaven rejoice. And the interesting thing about that is, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter records this, that the angels really, he says that they're in heaven and they desire to look into this thing called the gospel and the beauty of it and God's plan. And the angels don't even get it fully, but they do rejoice when someone has been found. But he uses a key word here. In verse 7, And in verse 10, he uses the same word, two different forms, even two different forms in our English language. It's over the one who repents. It's over the one who who follows through with repentance. In verse 10, he says, the one who repents. You see, Jesus here connects this idea to something really important here. To be found, you have to repent. Repent. We've talked about that word before, but let me remind you what that is. I want you kids to understand what it means to repent. There's a difference when you get caught by your parents doing something. That ever happened to any of you kids? How many of you kids have tried this? I'm sorry. Have you ever tried that? That's not repentance. It's not repentance. You know what repentance is? Big kids, do you know what repentance is? It's not saying I'm sorry. It's having a total change of heart about the thing that you were doing and you don't do that anymore. It's having a total change of heart about the way that you lived. It's having a total change of heart about how much you love sin. You have a total heart change about this. And here's the thing, the only way you can have that is is if you are found because you can't change your own heart. It has to be the chief shepherd who changes your heart. And honestly, this sets up Jesus' third parable. I'm teeing it up for Paul right now, if you don't know. I'm putting the ball in the tee for you, Paul. This sets up the third parable because Jesus is giving us the third parable to demonstrate what repentance is and what it looks like and how God the Father responds to a repentant heart and how he responds to a heart that isn't repentant. The 
But before we wrap up here this morning, I I want you to see something here. Jesus, the shepherd in this parable, he goes after lost sheep who have willfully gone astray. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. That's every one of our stories. Kids, you do wrong things because you like to do wrong things. You like it. Guess what? Your parents do wrong things because they like to do wrong things. We go after, the, we go after our own dreams, our own desires, and in doing so, we follow those dreams and those desires to our own ruin. And Jesus is out looking for the lost sheep and the lost coins, the ones that are hidden down in the dirt and crevices of the debris of a dirty world. Jesus is looking through all of that to find his coin. Aren't you so glad Jesus is still looking? Maybe this morning he's seeking you. I got good news for you. If he's seeking you, he will find you. He'll find you and he'll put you on his shoulders. The same shoulders that bore your sin, he will put... Do you get that? (laughs) The same shoulders that on Calvary bore your sin, he will put you on his shoulders and carry you home. What grace. And when he does that, heaven explodes in a party. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about loved ones that I've known, family members who have died, who I know, I'm pretty sure, are in heaven. I wonder what those parties are like when the angels rejoice over someone who's found. But before we leave here this morning, I want to talk to those of us who have been found. If you haven't been found, let me just say this. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. (laughs) Today's the day to be found. But for those of us who have been found, it gets really easy to want to avoid the tax collectors and the sinners, doesn't it? Just be honest. It gets really easy to want to avoid those people. And yet the example of Jesus is what? They, they came to him. There was something attractive about him that they came to him, and he didn't just send them away like, I don't have time for you people. No, he wanted to spend time with them. You know what my desire is for my own heart and my desire is for this church and the individuals who make up this church is that we would be a people that cares about what Jesus cares about. Jesus probably doesn't give a rip about what color this auditorium is. He probably, and I know we're going to have a meeting in a couple minutes, he doesn't probably give a rip about how much money we have in our bank account. You know what he cares about? He cares about the kid who's going to get the shoebox, who's going to get to hear the greatest story. That's what he cares about. He cares about that lost sheep in Zambia or in China or, or, I don't know, in Mexico that's going to get that box. That's what Jesus cares about. Jesus cares about 
The person that you and I would never invite to lunch at the workplace because, well, after all, they're a degenerate gambler, they're cheating on their wife, they're doing this, they're doing that. I, I can't be seen with them. Would Jesus be seen with them? I can't, I can't tarnish my reputation. I've got news for you. Apart from Christ, you had no reputation. And the people that we want to pass by the people that we ignore are probably the ones that we need to be interacting with the most. Remember, we're not called to be the finders, we're just called to be the ambassadors. Jesus finds his sheep. Jesus finds his sheep, he finds his lost coins. We're just called to represent him and let him do his work. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing a song at the end to remind us of what amazing grace it is to be found, <laughs> to be found. If you're here today and you know you haven't been found and, and, and you want to know more about that, come find me. I'm going to be in the back after, the, after this is over. Maybe it's even during this song and you're like, man, I need to talk to somebody. I'm going to be out in the hallway after this. Come find me. We're going to take 10 minutes and then we're going to come back in after we're done with the service. And we're going to have a short family meeting. If you're in Christ, <laughs> be full of joy this morning. Be full. You've been found. You've been found. Father, what an amazing thing it is to consider that willful, rebelling, wayward sheep can be found. That coins that get lost in the, in the darkest corners and under the most debris can be found. Not because we're worth finding, not because we stand out, but because, Jesus, you're relentless in your search for us. I praise you, Savior, for being a relentless searcher. We praise you for your grace. We praise you for your kindness. May our lives this week reflect the, the same desires that you have. May, may we be busy doing the things that you have done when you were here on this earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.